This is Transparency, a podcast by Gender Dysphoria Alliance, hosted by Aaron Kimberly and Aaron Terrell. Each week we'll be joined by people who have personal or professional experience with gender dysphoria and physical transition. We'll also discuss how our trans experiences relate to the concept of gender identity. Join us for a compassionate yet heterodox approach to the question of trans. All right. Welcome back to Transparency. Um, it's uh, one of those rare uh, no guest episodes. Um, <clears throat> we decided, uh, well, today's the launch of the, uh, well, yesterday when this releases uh, is the launch of the uh, Courage Coalition um, uh, that you and I are both uh, both a part of um, just a collection of um, lesbian, gay, bisexual, and uh, transgender, transsexual um, adults uh, coming together to um, uh, be vocal about our concerns about uh, youth gender medicine and make it very clear that the um, LGBTQ whatever is not a united consensus on that topic. Um, anyway, so it's very important to us that we have diversity of thought within the group and, and there's very uh, few things that you and I disagree on, but uh, the, the topic that we're going to be uh, launching in today is one thing that we actually don't have uh, 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 like the exact same uh, opinion, not exact same opinion on, but we don't have exact same opinions on other things, but we basically uh, generally uh, agree on most of these issues. Um, but today's topic of conversation is going to be the um, uh, notorious, uh, controversial, um, le- butch lesbian to gay trans man pipeline uh, that's been you know kind of well under not not at all understood, but well observed within the FTM community um, and certainly within the lesbian community, um, but. It seems like a lot of the um, the external uh, uh, world isn't aware that, that that how common it is, um, and nobody seems to really know why or how it happens. Um, so yeah, you and I have some theories, obviously, on that. So we're gonna uh, yeah hash that out. Should be exciting. Yeah, it used to look so simple, you know, because it it used to be you know let's say rewind thirty years ago, it, it clinicians who did gender medicine said that they really only saw one type of woman coming through their doors wanting the, you know, classic air quotes here, um, sex change, and it was all butch lesbians. But I think you're right that when we sort of open up the box of what is a butch lesbian, that in itself isn't entirely straightforward. So I, I, I definitely value the discussion and, and I'm open-minded to some of the ideas that you're presenting. I'm just not entirely convinced yet. <laughs> fair fair um but so like because even even back in the um not when i say like back, back in the early days of transition i'm, th- I'm talking like the um you know the 90s that's about it i mean obviously people were transitioning earlier than that but as far as um you know numbers enough to to kind of uh, observe it and for and, and people i know those were the earliest uh transitioners and of the four people I know of who transitioned even back then, they were butch lesbians, but then they transitioned into at least at least bisexual or gay um, uh, or, you know, androphilic, let's say, post-transitioning. And I find that that's a very interesting phenomenon because we don't see the same in the homosexual, mm-hmm. transsexual uh, males. That, that pipeline doesn't exist and yep. so obviously testosterone yep. like we like to say it's a hell of a drug but it's like what is it doing you know that 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 causes that to mm-hmm. happen and my theory that i've been discussing a lot lately is um that you don't that you don't 
aren't, aren't so convinced on, and I can understand why, and the sexologists aren't convinced on it either, um, is autoandrophilia. It is uh, a uh, female's propensity to, um, it's, it's going to be, again, I've talked about this so many times, but it's going to be less sexual than than uh, AGP, and it's going to be more about dynamics and identity and sentimentality. And I think I think there's like this, this subconscious desire to be that which you are attracted to, and the most way, the most... The, the best way to to externalize that is to be same sex attracted is to be attracted to women because men are attracted to women like it's and i think we call you obviously know that well not obviously but i think a lot of people understand uh, meta meta sexuality um when it comes to autogynophilia and what they're doing is they're you know it's it's the the, the man in that scenario for the autogynophile is a um basically a sexual prop that exists to um uh, uh to give to 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 to, a, to help the autogynophile believe that they are a woman in that sexual scenario um but i think for for um autoandrophilic females it's much more dynamic oriented like the 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 the, the femme in the in the butch femme pairing in this context i think they're obviously 100% actual like um i guess I don't know if a word to say it other than innately gynophilic females. They're 100% are, of course. Um, but I think amongst the butch lesbian population, some of them are not innately gynophilic. And I think they are drawn to the butch femme subculture because of the relationship dynamic it provides them. That it's a way for them to, um, to enact their male identity full time. Um, and, and they get that, that validation. But it's much, again, I think for some it's quite sexual. I'm not a... I, even before or even at post testosterone, I'm not a hypersexual person, so I I am filtering this through my understanding of of, of female sexuality. I mean, some people I talk to about this who are who are also FTM or they they say no, that's not that's not very sentimental for me. It's very sexual for me. I'm like okay, yeah, fair enough. But I think for I think I think it's still it's not going to be as sexual as it is for for males, and it's going to be much more dynamic driven. And then once they um, you know, once transition becomes an option and they start taking testosterone and their test their, their sex drive is turned up to 11 that is when that's when that dynamic ceases to be so important that the 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 the, the butch femme dynamic doesn't do it isn't necessary anymore um you know because they've embodied maleness essentially and then that natural that innate androphilic attraction to men becomes present and then that's that's my theory in a nutshell thoughts. And like I said, I'm, I'm open-minded. I'm open-minded to that theory is it, it's, it's difficult, you know, dissecting female sexuality in general. And I think the six sexologists agree with me on that. Like it's, it's female sexuality is so much more nebulous and, mm -hmm. and fluid in general. And I've seen that in, I've known lots of women over the years that, you know, through both heterosexual and, and bi and lesbian and, in all of those camps, um, I've seen a lot of fluidity where, you know, the heterosexual women sort of in midlife, just, you know, discovering that they're attracted to women or lesbians who 30 years later, when they started working some stuff out, you know, maybe childhood trauma or something, they started to develop an attraction to men. And, and so, and then as you say, you know, I've definitely seen um, butch lesbians, or at least who I thought were butch lesbians, transitioning and then becoming gay men and and so i've always found that puzzling and that that seems to happen quite a bit i mean that didn't 
that didn't happen to me, but it, it happens a lot in trans men. And I have always wondered why why is that? But I, I think I always placed it in the context of, well, I've seen that in no matter what sexual orientation, women say that they are I've seen a, a great deal of fluidity and change over time in general. And and then you add testosterone to that, and that's the question, right? What does testosterone do to settle? And it definitely increases strife. And is would that be enough to awaken? attractions that you didn't have before but it's so much more straightforward like with the agp pipeline it's so much more straightforward if they were like a heterosexual man and they were very typically heterosexually male you know maybe into midlife had a wife had kids had a very um very masculine occupation like military or something and then um, has this baby secret secret um drive to to cross-dress and finds that erotic and then and then that ends up becoming power so powerful they end up tra transitioning so that seems like a fairly straightforward sort of progression uh, whereas i like i don't see that same that same straightforward progression in women where someone was like typically heterosexual female very feminine appearing but enjoyed cross-dressing in secret and then became more masculine and that took over and became a butch lesbian or like i don't i don't see that that same progression if that makes sense where, where they were obviously heterosexual and they acknowledged their attraction to men and then also desired wanting to be men where like so i don't understand why why we don't see that pipeline of like highly feminine women transitioning into gay men as, well, so, why why butch lesbian so i think i think where where my thinking and we do actually see that now but i think we kind of the more that's more now like we the, do rapid, now, yeah. yeah 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 um uh but what i think but but be so so my theory here is we don't see that because there's already a masculinization that's happened that causes the auto androphilia in the first place i think i think that um that um that autoandrophilic females are going to already be quite masculine in behavior and mannerism and entrance from early life. They're going to be gender nonconforming, just like not, not to the same degree that actual, um, uh, um, um, I hate to use the old term, but it's the best one. I'm sorry, everybody, sexual inverts. Um, it's like, I think, so, so autoandrophilic, so you've got a very contrasting difference between like AGP uh, males and homosexual transsexuals uh, on the male side, right? Um, but on the female side, I think those two, those, I think those two categories still exist, but they're almost identical. The, the, the autoandrophilic females are going to be more feminine than the um uh the, yeah the androphilic and gynophilic the gynophilic females the naturally gynophilic females are going to be more masculine than the uh androphilic uh, uh females but it's no nowhere near as drastic a, a change or a difference uh as on the male side because the auto androphilic uh, uh female is still going to be naturally quite masculine have naturally masculine interests and will probably be even more likely to dress in a masculine way and present generally in a masculine way because of what what it validates for them whereas like like a gynophilic woman, I can't imagine is going to be all that invested in, you know, 
dressing like a man because it's just kind of like, who cares, you know, but for a, for a, an, an auto androphilic female, that's going to be even more important because it validates. So I think, I think that's why they just blend in so much as, um, as, as, as lesbians, I guess. And then another thing is, is for men, it's much, much harder because of how concrete their sexuality is versus ours, which is kind of much more nebulous and fluid. Um, it's, it's much, much easier, I think, for females to bend their sexuality to match their identity than it is for, uh, uh, for males. Um, so that's what I think is going on there, where I think it's, it's very dif difficult to even identify the distinction between an autoandrophilic butch lesbian and a naturally gynophilic uh, butch lesbian mm -hmm. is my my theory here yeah and you know if there is that testosterone link and and mm -hmm. i mean that is and i think that is a valid hypothesis because we see that in the um in the agp males it is so so we're, we're trying to weave together we're building a hypothesis weaving different bodies of research together right so this mm -hmm. this has never really been proven but there is a theory that um that high testosterone levels in, in either males or females is responsible for autism uh -huh. and potentially, and then building on that is potentially related to this inversion. So this uh -huh. the, either AGP or AAP, but there's also a theory that high testosterone in females creates a masculinization and homosexuality in females mm -hmm. so i guess what what's puzzling to, what's puzzling to me is you know and maybe the typology just doesn't work in women like maybe maybe we can't make a really clear distinction between hsts and so the homosexual subtype i gotta remind myself that not everyone's watching us right from the beginning right so we're throwing <laughs> out a lot of terms that people might not be familiar with so so hsts homosexual transsexual where you see these men who are very very feminized and everyone everyone would agree right that they're just physically mm -hmm. everything about them is just so close to female just they're females with a penis like it, and it I, makes I, I know a lot of people are going to be pissed off that i say that yeah. but when you see them it just makes sense because yeah. they just have this essence of femaleness uh -huh. and um and we do see that we do so we do see that in some females where they're just very physically masculine and mm -hmm. um I was on that pathway because of my ovotestes. When I became a teenager, my body started to both feminize and mas masculinize because I had this weird hormonal imbalance. And so I started developing facial hair and you know, body hair and um, and my voice started to get crackly. And then my ovotestes was, was discovered when I was 19 and removed. So I stopped masculinizing at that point. But if I, and that wasn't my choice either. I kind of want to, I've been struggling with that because um, I was on the operating table when they discovered the ovotestes and they made the decision for me to remove it. And, but if I had kept it, uh, um, I would have continued to, to masculinize and I probably would, would look similar to how I do now if I had just kind of left my body alone. And I think that should be my choice. Mm -hmm. um, so there are women that are very highly masculinized and tend to also be same-sex attracted. Mm -hmm. So there seems to be a, that connection between testosterone and same-sex attraction. And we see that in um, various 
um, intersex conditions where a female body is exposed to a lot of testosterone, you know, right from uh, neonatal onwards tend to, on average, be same-sex attracted. So I guess that's where I, I, I struggle to where we split these two things. Like, why would testosterone exposure create autoandrophilia in some females and a true sort of homosexuality in other females. I just kind of wonder why that would, why that would, that would split. I guess, so this kind of goes into my, my other uh, pet theory about uh, autoandrophilia and autogynophilia is that they are connected to autism spectrum disorder. Um, I think, um, uh, um, not always, not always. I think yeah, they, they definitely exist independent, but I think the, the correlation is quite strong in that, in that autism um, uh, is is kind of a, a, a turning inward, as they say, in a, a hyper self focus. It's it's very much um, living in your own inner world. Like the external world is less important as it is to to most you know, neurotypical people. And I think my my theory is that that comes with it. A, compu a subconscious compulsion to solve external needs internally, and I think, and I think that could explain how AAP and AGP develop as a as a like that that psychosexual development is is screwed up is is basically you know sent backwards and uh, because and I'm uh, sorry that's the negative language I don't mean to use negative language like that it's like it um it's yeah again just like a, a a subconscious compulsion to solve an external social need, an external sexual need, um, internally, yeah. and um, I, I, that's that's my theory. And um, it's kind of maybe a little, little esoteric or whatever, but um, I, I it just seems it just makes intuitive sense to me, I guess. Um, because I guess the, the, the launching of all this or the, how I got so obsessed with this is, well, <laughs> coincidentally, I've been talking to some, I've been, my other obsession right now is um, how we think. And uh, because I re learned that uh, uh, most people have an internal monologue, that's how they think, like they're thinking in words and images, and I do not. Um, and so I've been asking questions about that on Twitter, and uh, uh, a psychologist reached out to me in the DMs. She had me take this uh, a SD or what? Anyway, it's like the most accurate autism screening test, and I got a 145, which is incredibly high. And I did not expect mm. that. I mean, I kind of expected. I, I mean, I've got definitely got. I definitely have ASD traits, but but that's like quite autistic. And um, yeah, and I'm kind of. I'd kind be of, interested in taking that. Can, yeah, yeah. I'll send you the link. Yeah, you can send um, that along. Yeah, yeah, um, and. Uh, so it's it's which it is kind of baffling to me because I am like <laughs> like I was telling to her I was like I was like I don't want to like I'm tooting my own horn but I'm quite socially adept for somebody who's that uh, that uh, high on the on the ASD ranking. Um, well, they they say that <laughs> they say that females mask better. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That they, because you know because we are wired to be a little more social that we are able to kind of mask by learning learning social skills. Right, right. My kind of misandristic, if you will, theory is not theory, but joke is that uh, uh, 
uh, Aspie females are above average social males. Like <laughs> it's like, uh, like <laughs> kind of like male socialization and female socialization. And it's another reason why I think why why I think transition worked so well, took so well for me is not because it just made me much more comfortable in my body, but socially. I'm no longer awkward. I was incredibly awkward and uncomfortable socially and completely inept uh, before. But when I'm regarded as male in social situations, it just, I feel much more comfortable. I'm just myself and I'm not self monitoring all the time. Um, <clears throat> I'm not, yeah, confused, you know, about what people expect of me. Um, and uh, so I think, I think that's also probably why I don't come across as, as autistic as I would if. Or I probably did. I didn't know about it back then. But um, uh, anyway, I'm wondering if there's something to that. But do you I think, guess. yeah, do you think that's that people just respond to you differently socially because they don't expect men to be as as social? Maybe, maybe it's like less required. Um, I, 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 I think it's just who I, I think it's just my natural um, way of socially engaging. Just didn't, I, I don't know. I, I really, I can't really go back in time and figure out what it was that I was felt like was so uncomfortable or why people, people respond to me. People seem to like me better. Um, and I, I think I um, attributed that to um, uh, misogyny, right? Like, like people, they, people just, just take men more seriously. You know, I start talking, people stop talking to listen to me. Whereas, you know, like that would not have been the case um, before at all. Um, and so like things like that, that I, mm -hmm. that I kind of, assumed to be uh misogyny and it could also be the case uh that, that could have something to do with it is that men are taken more seriously and um uh, uh their thoughts opinions more highly valued or I, I, or it could be the case that i was just really socially awkward before but now i'm not and therefore people kind of take to me better or more like um again i don't want to like i i feel like people tend to like me and i and i get kind of kind of social invitations that I don't I think I'm kind of like uh, uh, this is kind of sounds sounds but it's like I I I'm not as social as I think people want me to be because people kind of like want to hang out with it's not that I'm like oh I don't like you it's just like I don't like you enough to leave my head to be with you you know to hang out with you um, but, <laughs> um anyway uh, maybe that is I can definitely relate to living in yeah. living in my head you know like I kind of need to be I don't like being forced out of my head. I like to sort of be mm -hmm. wooed out of my head, you know, mm -hmm. sort of invited out of my head gently. I have really, I have a really difficult time, especially if I'm really hyper-focused on something and really invested like reading or something and feel when I feel yanked out of that space, mm -hmm. I can get really irritable. Like I, I just, cause I had so much trouble so much trouble making the transitions to out of my head to socializing. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Like somebody knocking on the door or a phone ringing. It's like, who authorized this? It feels like, really <laughs> intrusive to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, it's nice when people can uh, yeah, relate with that feeling. But a, a study, it sounds, yeah, it sounds like a study that really needs to happen is looking at um, sc yeah, screening butch lesbians for autism in general to see if, if bush lesbians are more likely to have autism but also um and sort of a separate but related study would be to look at the you know the few women who have an intersex condition where their testosterone testosterone levels are abnormally high if there's more autism in that cohort as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
one thing that's that's kind of that that surprised me, and I didn't read this study, but uh, Lisa Selen Davis was talking about it on um, uh, uh, Wesley Yang's podcast. So I reached out to her, and she she sent me the studies. But it's um, and I, again, I haven't read it yet. But she was saying that when they monitored um, gender nonconforming uh, girls, uh, like hy- hypermasculine girls, like tomboys, let's say. Um, she actually said the cohort of girls that had naturally high testosterone were less masculine in their behavior and interests than the girls who were just tomboys with regular levels of testosterone for girls. So I want to, I want to read that because that's really fascinating to me. Um, that, yeah, <laughs> that the, is the, fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm curious how that happens, but, um, what was puzzling, what was puzzling about me too like looking back on on my childhood because i would say that most people in my life who knew me would agree that there was sort of a that you know that masculine essence whatever that is like i was often mistaken as male but it wasn't because i was very stereotypically male i was a very very sort of tall skinny kid so it's not like i was bulky um i was always a very more shy and introverted and into like things like drawing and riding horses and stuff. So I wasn't like a really rugged, rough and tumble. I didn't play sports. So it wasn't, it wasn't exactly my physicality. It was like, it wasn't my build because I wasn't like stocky and, and muscular or anything. I was scrawny, but like my dad is, was tall and scrawny and embarrassed how, how skinny he was as a young boy. But there was still, I mean, I did play baseball and stuff, and I. But people mistook me as boy all the time. So it's it's not just. I mean, a feminist say it was just stereotypes. You know, if you were rough and tumble and you had a certain outgoing personality, then you thought you were more masculine. But I wasn't any of those things. I wasn't very stereotypically masculine, but still, something that made mm-hmm. made sense to me and everyone around me that there was something m- more masculine about me to the extent that I was mistaken as, as boy. And, but I would, I did have a preference for short hairstyles and what I would call boys clothes. I would shop in the boy clothes section and I absolutely hated it when my mom dressed me and would dress me in a dress or something. But it, yeah, it's just interesting that it, it, those, whatever those cues were that other people were picking up on, whether it was, I don't know if it was just the way I carried myself or the way I spoke or something people were picking up there's just something even when I tried to because there were times in my childhood that I did try to fit in because I hated not fitting in right I, I hated being an outlier so I would try to feminize my appearance just to fit in better my high school grad I wear a dress just to please my mom but even then like there was just looked so awkward it looked like I was in drag doing drag it, yeah. and, and other people and other people picked up on that awkwardness too yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I didn't have the, the experience of being mistaken uh, uh, for a boy. Um, <clears throat> and I, I, I had the same. Uh, uh, I wanted to have a short haircut and I wanted to to, to, to shop in the boys section, but I was uh, uh, adamantly not allowed to. Um, I grew up in a quite, uh, quite a cons- and you grew up in a conservative uh, uh, Christian household as well. But my mom was very, um, very controlling. I think probably more so than than your parents sound like. She was very, um, uh, uh, my my behavior was quite. I was constantly being, you know, reminded how how girls are supposed to behave and that what I was doing was not like a girl. And I don't know what I was doing, but yeah, 
I was, you know, made to wear uh, uh, dresses and skirts. And certainly every Sunday when we went to church, um, I was, um, yeah, hated it. Um, but, uh, and I, I, yeah, I wasn't allowed to kind of, uh, to wear the clothes and have the haircuts that I, that I, that I wanted to have. Um, and, and so that, yeah, for me, there was like, I don't know. I, I don't think, there's nothing about my, my appearance that was masculine at all as a kid, like my, my physicality, let's say, um, uh, as a kid. Um, but, but my, my interests, I think, I think my interests were more typically masculine than yours. I wasn't particularly interested in, um, sports at all. Um, I mean, I liked playing, playing like football and baseball like with my friends in the yard, but I wasn't like nothing something I really cared all that much about. Um, I collected, baseball cards and basketball cards. I think mostly just because my brother did. Um, I wasn't all that invested in them. Um, uh, but I was very much about being like a cowboy and like being out in the woods. And like, I, you know, like very, very much like building forts and pretending to be an outlaw kind of thing was my, was my kind of imaginary play as a, ch as a child. I couldn't, I couldn't draw to save my life. I still cannot draw to save my life. Um, I'm not, I'm not artistically creative in any, any way. I'm not, um, imaginative i'd say in any way but no that's not true because again it's all it was all i was very much in fantasy play but it's just like creative like physical creative no no um <clears throat> so so i and and i was allowed to play those like i was allowed to have guns and knives and and that's what i wanted to those were the toys i wanted to have and i was allowed to have those toys but my mom also very much encouraged me to be playing you know playing house with you know my, my little sister and our co female cousins and whatnot. And, you know, then I would just play the male role in that situation, but like in the house or whatever, but in the house playing, but my preference was for, to be with the boys playing cops and robbers or cowboys and Indians. And um, like, that was, and I, you know, again, I was allowed to do those things, but I had to be looking like a girl while I did it, you know? Um, uh, uh, yeah. Um, anyway, I'm not sure where, where I was, where I was going. Um, um, with that but i was i was similar in that way i definitely loved being outdoors out in the woods on horseback or or out with friends building building forts and stuff but i wasn't really rough and tumble in the sense of like sports and stuff i mean there were times when my brother and i were play kicks kickboxing or something until one of us got a nosebleed but but for, for the most part like i wasn't into football and stuff but i think i would have played hockey if i had been allowed to i just didn't wasn't an option for for right. girls to play hockey but what was i going to say i definitely had a preference i didn't have a i didn't have a strong preference for imaginary play i didn't like imaginary play i was very imaginative mm. but i didn't really like imaginary play so much so one example is let's say i'd be with a group of kids and i had both male and female friends um and let's say they said they would say something like hey let's play pirates and I'd be all excited. Yeah, let's do it. Let's play pirates. And then I would go off to make all of the like, all the gear. Right. I wanted the <laughs> you know the, the sword or the gun or the outfit or the like. So that the creation of it was exciting right. to me more. And they just went off and played the game without <laughs> me because I was I was busy building yeah. the stuff for it. So I, I definitely have a, right. a an interest in creating, working with my hands, and I still do that. I do woodworking and and drawing and out of my garden. And I, so I like, I like things and I like building and working with my hands or so like the concreteness of that. I don't, I didn't really like, I wouldn't say I never played imaginary play, but that, that there's so much about social dynamics in imaginary uh -huh. play that didn't interest me as much. Yep. 
Yep. I but I would it. always play a male character. So if we played, we would play Star Wars in the elementary school monkey bars. So the, pretending the monkey bars were our spaceship, but I would always play either Luke Skywalker or Han Solo. Right. <laughs> and no one seemed to mind. Yeah. <laughs> they just rolled with it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, that was the case for me as well, except it was um, various like, you know, like Billy the Kid or um, I'm blanking on their names now, but I was obsessed with like, western like gunslinger type uh type characters and so i was always one of them with my brother and our uh yeah yeah again i was always out with the boys and like yeah pretending we were various um yeah gunslingers shooting each other and whatnot or going on missions and kind of kind of things like that but i did i did enjoy that kind of imaginary play where we were like i was i was acting out a character and it's so weird to me that i was like i enjoyed that as a kid but i like as an adult i that's the last thing i would want to do is to like participate in the like a like a comedy or like a like an action or the like acting it like no well, that's the last thing I'd want to do. Um but you know one of the things I absolutely hate the the most and I, I just can't do it. Like if my daughter would say, hey make up a story. I hate making up <laughs> stories on the fly. Like I absolutely hate it and I just can't do it. Like I like I can write like if I were to but I tend to write about nonfiction, but I mean, I have written fiction, but to, to come up on the fly, like just be imaginative and come up with a storyline. My, I just draw a complete blank. Yeah. 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 No, me, me, me too. I'm, I'm, yeah, I can't, I can't write fiction to save my life. I can't, I can't invent stories to save my life. I do like writing about like something I've researched. Um, I like yeah, writing, writing that way. Um, uh, um, I was listening to a podcast um, recently and this is, what I was listening to it is uh, Sarah Hader. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, uh, Sarah Hader. So. She is the other half of Megan Daum's other podcast, A Special Place in Hell. Um, they've recently okay. been talking about uh, autogynephilia quite, quite, uh, quite well. Actually, they're doing a, doing a good, pretty good job with it. Um, uh, but on on that same episode, uh, I'll link it in in the episode here. But um, uh, uh, they they talk about this whole uh, how how they think right and uh i very much relate with with how sarah hader um describes her mind in that it is it, you know it's nonverbal, and uh that that it's we have to translate our thoughts into words and for her she hates writing because it's very difficult for her to translate her thoughts into words um into text form um and i found that interesting because i'm kind of the opposite and despite the fact that i've obviously found myself co-hosting a podcast i much prefer translating my thoughts from thoughts into words on a page or on the mm -hmm. screen uh on my phone and not uh not vocalizing them i'm um i've obviously i've, I've one of my very one one of my insecurities is uh, my inner. I feel like I'm doing a good job articulating uh, in this episode, but one of my, uh, I think that's probably just because it's just like you and I talking about things. You know, I'm not. Uh, that's could be probably why. But um, uh, one of my insecurities is is my inarticulateness, my inability to vocalize what I'm thinking and to complete that thought uh, in a coherent way. And um, Whereas I don't have that insecurity when I'm writing because obviously I can know that's not right and rewrite it and you know think about how the best way to express this is. Um, <clears throat> whereas thinking or whereas speaking, I don't have that that the luxury of backspace. Um, uh, but uh, but it's just it's really fascinating to me um, the, the way that people think. And I'm realizing now <laughs> we we started talking about uh, uh, the the butch lesbian to gay trans man pipeline, and we were just like on a. <laughs> 
<laughs> on another we'll, topic. We'll loop back. We'll loop yeah. back to female sexuality. <laughs> Um, but yeah, then again, I think I think there's a connection here is in in in, in cognition, right? And it's like what is going on there. Um, um, uh, well, it's relevant myself. because because I think I think gender dysphoria, regardless of the pathway to it, I think is a cognitive process. So I, I do think that there's value in talking about cognition and and ways of processing information because. I do think that's very directly relevant to the development of gender dysphoria, regardless of the type of gender right. dysphoria. I do think it's, I do, I, I think it's cognitive. I, I think that's why I resist the terminology of mental illness because it's not that it's, it's not that we're this floridly psychotic or something, right? I mean, I think a person with gen, with gender dysphoria, if they don't have other comorbidities, can function in, in pretty much every domain in their life reasonably well, despite the gender dysphoria, because it's a, I think it's a glitch in cognition, not, it's not, like, it's not, not a delusion, it's not, no, I, I think when you talk about mental illness, I think people, maybe it's the stigma of mental illness, but it's, I think an error in cognition like people often call gender dysphoria a delusion. Right. Right. Rather than a cognitive error. Like it, but it's a subconscious cognitive error. And I think they're calling it a delusion because they don't actually know what it is. They're they're just thinking yeah. that it's somebody who who's deluded and thinking that they're the opposite sex when that's not what's going on. It's a case of your your brain has has mapped a body that contradicts the reality um of 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 your body and i think um that it um so so it's yeah um i i think yeah neurodivergence is a better term than than mental illness but it's still but neurodivergence doesn't quite capture because it's like it's a gender dysphoria is a problem uh neurodivergence mm -hmm. in general uh, is not a problem like i'm quite happy that my brain works the way i do i like um i feel like a lot of people like they want to escape their brains and like um, it, it, for me, it's like, I can't like uh, my brain is my favorite place to be like. And so it's like, I'm very, I, I wouldn't want my, my, so if, if, if it is a case that I'm um, that that autism score is correct. It's like, I, I don't feel like that's a problem for me. I, I like that my brain works the way that it does. Um, mm -hmm. <clears throat> um, I think but, a lot of times, like, yeah, um, I, I think we're going to, I think we're going to have some episodes about um, the conference I just went to, but one of the things I noticed about, if I can just sort of do a little bit of a, a spoiler, um, yeah, because the conference was was a collection of mental health professionals, psychologists coming together to talk about gender dysphoria, including etiologies of gender dysphoria and therapeutic um, therapeutic approaches. And I think I think that would have been a lot more straightforward thirty years ago. But now there's I think there's so many different presentations of gender dysphoria, and I do think I do agree that counseling and psychotherapy can be helpful for someone with gender dysphoria but the problem is gender dysphoria has become this completely kind of fuzzy nebulous concept with such blurry margins and a vague description that i think it, it's left open a lot of room for people to project themselves into the experience of gender dysphoria so now i think we're seeing so many different different motivations, different presentations, that it's almost impossible now to tease them apart. 
Yeah. But my concern is, so that's why I do believe psychotherapy first before medicalization is, is helpful because we need to, I think so many different things are going on, especially for the girls that I think we need to slow down and, and, and be a lot more cautious about medicalizing. Um, but the concern I had at the conference, hearing so many different psychologists talk about their ideas about ideology and stuff. So ideology meaning the origins of, of something and how it developed. But just like there are so many projections of, peop- of self into this concept of gender dysphoria, I think the danger is that there's a lot of room for psychologists to also project their beliefs about what gender dysphoria is into what they think, you know, what they, their concept of gender dysphoria, and that could be really, really dangerous. And so I think, so let's say someone thinks, oh, it's about, it's about trauma, it's about sexual trauma, or it's about masochism and self-harm. It's like, well, that might be true for somebody, but if you, if, if someone takes that because they maybe discovered that in the, in the room with one person, you can't then generalize that to everyone with gender dysphoria. And that's where this return to psychology does concern me is if somebody has landed on a belief about what gender dysphoria is and they're sitting there with somebody with gender dysphoria and and trying to sort of, based on that assumption of what gender dysphoria is, guide them in a direction to that discovery, that wasn't their pathway and their motivation. That could be really, really harmful to a person. Yeah, that's interesting. That's a very good point. Yeah, because I don't I don't feel the origins of my gender dysphoria. I wouldn't say that I've never experienced any adversity or or pain or trauma in my life, but I don't think my gender dysphoria that in in terms of the root of it at age two or three, I don't think it was trauma based. I don't think it had anything to do with emotions. I think it was a purely cognitive process. So I I do think it was related to the cognitive categorization process, which is an unconscious process that starts around the age of two or three, where you start to categorize differences between things and grouping them together, including the group of male and female. And I think some of us, it makes sense for the homosexual cohort, when you have enough traits, stereotypically of the opposite sex, it makes sense to me that cognitively, we would make the mistake of putting ourselves in the wrong category. So I think for me, it was purely a cognitive, an unconscious cognitive process that had nothing to do with my emotional state or trauma or even like the things that were going on around me or socially. But I think female sexuality over time takes up so much baggage. And and that's where I want to loop back to female sexuality. I think with the males, it's so much more straightforward because they're just attracted to what they're attracted to. And everything else needs to get out of the way, right? I mean, it's this really strong, um, att- you know, attraction to the thing that they're attracted to, uh, which I can understand how that, if if you have that inversion of, of AGP, how that could become a very strong driver for a transition. But I think with females, there's so many layers and there's often so many social layers, including things like, I mean, even if you weren't directly sexually abused, like I think we pick up on the stories of these things happening, right? This, 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 just this cultural state of femaleness around us. I think we pick up on and internalize. Um, I mean, you add on to that the layer of being same-sex attracted and the stigma about that. You know, especially. For old, those of us that are older, I mean, the stigma 
hopefully isn't as bad now as it as it had been 20 30 years ago um but i remember in queer theory there's also symbolism culturally and when i was studying queer theory in the 90s as a young person one of the central themes of queer theory was the phallus as a symbol not just a body part but as a symbol of potence and power and you know sort of your your sexual your sexuality um and i saw a lot of the women especially like the the lesbian and bisexual women sort of pick up on that idea of of desiring the phallus not as a body part but desiring the phallus as a symbol of power agency sexuality um and then so a lot of them were doing drag like being drag kings at that time and, and sort of playing on that theme you know packing their pants to make it look like they had a giant penis and really just sort of so there's that layer too right of the symbolism of the phallus not as a not as a actual literal having having a dick but desiring the power of the agency and you know the the sexuality and the sexual freedom that they perceive men to have the first time i'm hearing about the, the whole phallus theory, theory so i'm, I'm gonna have to ponder uh ponder that one um because that's one of the things where i i my uh my my theory again with the whole the whole um uh auto and my auto androphilia theory but lesbian it's a gay trans man pipeline theory is like why why would like um i remember one of in one of our earlier episodes we were talking uh with with mars and we were on the topic of, of packers and i remember you of the the habit of the the, the what was word anyway the um <clears throat> trans men or or in this case uh, butch lesbians um having like fake penises uh in their pants like as kind of not just for the exact purpose of like uh, for like you know um I'll say dildos essentially for the for the purpose of sex but like but just like a, the process of having yes a bulge in your pants essentially <clears throat> and you were saying something like they, they they found it they found it sexy but then after transitioning it was no. It seemed stupid, and I'm. And my thought is like, why? If, if somebody is not attracted to males in any way, why would the concept of having a penis be sexy? Um, and that that I see what you're like. The whole phallus. To, to me, it seems more like you'd have to find penises appealing in order to find having one sexy. Um, is my my thought on that, but like you're saying, it's just like, it's, it's representative of power and, and that's, and, and that's what was the, but you that's, think again, I mean, that's, like, that's how I, we, that's why we were talking about it in, in a queer theory context. And, and I do think that, I do think I've seen evidence of that in the, in the lesbian community. I think a lot of lesbians desire power and agency and yeah, desire, desire power i mean you see that in um some of the lesbian feminist circles right i mean that this this desire to have female power um and start kind of behaving in a very masculine way in order you know they almost like take on traits of of men in order to achieve that so i, I do think there's this there's a symbolic the symbolic representation of the phallus but i think trying to think of just my own experience of like packing and stuff and 
I don't think it was like I, I've never been attracted to men. I mean, I I can look at a man and say, yes, he's an attractive man, but I've never felt like an, an a sexual attraction to men and definitely not an emotional bonding with men in a brotherly sense, but but not in a romantic sense. But there was something exciting in the butch femme dynamic. And I think it was less about having a a physical penis and more just about your sexuality, your ability to attract and sexually fulfill female partners. Okay. Because my, my sex drive is so gynophilic. Like my, just in terms of that, just pure drive. If I was like, sometimes it's helpful to take it out of the human realm and talk about monkeys or something, right? Because then you don't have all these layers of social stuff and baggage and symbolism, but just that pure animal drive. You sometimes see female monkeys trying to mount other female monkeys. Like their drive, even though they don't have a penis, their drive is still to mount, penetrate, and, you know, that's interesting. have, have sex with monkeys. So that was my drive. Like that, my body just wants to to do that so it, it, it's not about finding men attractive and then finding myself attractive if i have a penis it's more about i want that's right. how i want to have sex with women and and so it's frustrating not having that anatomy <laughs> see and i i relate 100 with that but only post testosterone being added uh, uh exogenously uh to the mix before um uh but when i say you thought about the monkeys is, is uh, growing up, we had a female dog who would, who would try to hump everybody. And I, I remember thinking as a kid, like, why is a female trying, like, where, where's that instinct coming from? What, what is she trying? To, like, what, what's the, where's this uh, evolution? Well, in, dogs, that's, in dogs, that's a dominant. Yeah. In dogs, that's a oh, dominant behavior. Okay. It's a way of asserting dominance. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, there we go. That answers that. Okay. <laughs> 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 um, but, uh, 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 but yeah, so, um, one, one, uh, and I, I, one more thing I wanted to discuss before we uh, uh, wrap up. I'm not sure even how much time we're at. Oh, we're only about an hour in. We're we're doing okay. Um, my pre-testosterone, I was not attracted to men's bodies the way that I now know most heterosexual women are attracted to. Uh, men's bodies. I'm I'm having a lot of uh, not identity crisis. I, I have that's one thing I appreciate about myself is I have zero ego investment, and I don't have, um, I, I don't have an emotional commitment to either ideology or or even if the ideology exists for women or for like I just don't I don't don't care. Um, I'm I'm very, very curious, but emotionally I'm completely indifferent to the situation. Like it's not it has no bearing on my sense of self or identity, and that's why I can like explore this like completely. Um, yeah without hesitation. One reason that my, my, um, my theory doesn't add up is because I am the exact opposite of what my theory um, <laughs> says. Um, I, <clears throat> I was very much heteroromantic um, uh, pre-testosterone. And I, I would say I had a very hyper-feminine uh, sexuality in that it was not at all target-driven. It was very romantic, very sentimental. It's like if I was my, my, it was like I wanted my desire to have sex with somebody was just an uh, like the the extension of that romantic attraction to them of wanting to be intimate with that person. You know, it was like like that's that's to me something like it's like incredibly feminine. Uh, uh, but and then talking to um, females like um, both detransitioners and uh, non-transitioners, um, 
uh, you know, feminist, like a lot of w women are are telling me that no, 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 they're very much turned on by like penises and men's bodies and whatnot. And I never was like I just, just could not give a crap about their bodies. It was just like this is who I'm, you know, like who am I, who I'm romantically attracted to, and their bodies were completely irrelevant to me. Um, female bodies grossed me out, so that was not that was not going to happen at all. Um, so I'm um, so I'm really wondering what mechanism is going on here because post testosterone, my my sexuality changed to exactly what you described is incredibly gynephilic, incredibly active, um, incredibly um, uh, not romantic. I mean, I, I, do, I definitely do have romantic feelings for um, uh, certainly my partner, obviously, um, but but like at the same time, um, my sexuality shifted. I started, you know, developing romantic crushes on females as well as, um, you know, sexual attraction to their bodies. And I never had sexual attraction to men's bodies and then so <clears throat> so i don't i don't know what's going on there because and everybody's saying oh you're you were always innately gynephilic but it was just your gender dysphoria was was overriding your mm -hmm. you know your ability to actually um be attracted to women because I, I was so so dysphoric about my own body the idea of duplicating that in a sexual scenario is just like unthinkable um but uh but yeah, so I, so I, but, but that's why, that's why I understand where people are coming from. It's like, oh, I could be actually innately homosexual all along, but my attractions to men before testosterone seemed very, very natural, very, they were very, um, uh, yeah, very intense, very, they were, that, that, yeah, that's why it's like, I don't think that it's, yeah, I don't know what's going on with me because, um, mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, th th those attractions to men, the romantic drive was very, yeah, that seemed it seemed natural. It didn't seem like I was compensating for not being able to sleep with women because my body grossed me out, and their bodies grossed me out. As a result, it seemed like it was it was very innate uh, attractions I developed for men. It was just that their bodies just didn't. It was like whatever, it's, you know. But um, well, the so, difference between us might be the timing of our testosterone because true because yeah. I had the ovo testes. I was exposed to t testosterone in utero up until age nineteen, and where that certain degree of sexual i mean sex as in not sexuality but sex as in male female where that mm -hmm. sexual differentiation process started in me at a you know needle natally onward and i think i think that's something that's getting lost in the whole gender debate because gender criticals are really digging down into the concept of you know male and female is just gametes period yeah. Yeah. Which, which, and I understand why they're doing that, but yeah. but it, it 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 collapses this whole thing down without any any nuance because yeah. you know when it comes to the sex differentiation process, that impacts our entire bodies, right? Not not just the development of a penis or a vagina. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's that's really simplistic in terms of sex sex differentiation. And I think I think there it, it's possible, and there is evidence the, to the fact that homosexuality is the result of sex differentiation it's just that it would have taken place after the point that your sexual anatomy has developed so and, and just because of that whole cascade effect of, of the process of sex differentiation it happens over time right it's not like if so the analogy i like to use to explain sex differentiation is like electrical circuit so you've got a switch you've got the wiring and you got a light bulb 
and you flick the switch, the electricity flows through the you know the the electrical cables and then lights your light bulb. So in that analogy, the light switch would be your chromosomes. So you're either XX or XY. So it's the presence or absence of the Y that's important in this process. So the Y switches the, the set that switch on, which then, so then your electricity would be at this absence or presence of testosterone. And then your light bulb would be the end result. So you got the receptors for the testosterone that then impact your sex differentiation process. Now, females do have the receptors, but depend if they don't have the Y chromosome, then that switch doesn't turn on. And then they don't have testosterone that would then differentiate them as male. So if think of that, that circuitry, there's things that can go wrong, right? Either your switch is broken. So you might have a genetic abnormality. Um, you may have testosterone, but don't have the receptors. So there might be a problem with the light bulb. So that would be the case of someone with complete androgen insensitivity is that they're genetically male. They had the, the flood of testosterone, which should have differentiated their bodies into male bodies, but it, they didn't have the receptors. And so their bodies therefore developed female. So if you think of that process, that's not, it's like with a light bulb, it happens instantly, right? You flick a switch, the light bulb comes on. But with the sex differentiation process, it happens over time. And so if, let's say, the, the switch gets turned on, you're exposed to testosterone, you start to develop male as a result. But if something gets disrupted later in that process, you can end up starting to differentiate in a different direction. But if your sexual anatomy has already developed, because I would think that our brain development would be one of the later stages in sex differentiation, because it's a very complex system. So... I think that makes sense if your sexual anatomy is already developed male, but then something happens in the sex differentiation process where neural circuitry for sexual orientation then takes a diversion into a more female typical um, process. Or, you know, in the case of the HSTS that we've talked about, they're just physically, mentally, emotionally, everything about them is more feminized, but they have a penis. So I think that sex differentiation process probably got diverted after their sexual anatomy developed. But I think in the case of like you taking testosterone and then end up having a more male typical sexual orientation, I think by taking hormones later in life, even though you're, it's not needle needly anymore, but we still have receptors in our bodies for these things, we do start to sex differentiate towards male by taking testosterone. So I think maybe that accounts for your sexuality changing is these testosterone this testosterone isn't just surface level it does affect any parts of our body that can still differentiate like no hair on my head i mean i've got male male pattern baldness that was so that those genes and those receptors were already there in females um Perhaps a little bit different for me because I did have the testosterone as you know as a result of an intersex condition, but none of this would be possible, you know, in terms of of transition to either masculinize or feminize. It wouldn't be possible if we didn't have the receptors in our bodies and and the genetics for things like male pattern baldness and facial hair and, um, I mean males males have nipples right why do males have nipples they don't breastfeed well it's because 
we all start as a single template of this sort of potentiality to be either male or female, need or need, you know, as a fetus, and then differentiate. And that's why women have clitorises and male men have nipples, because we all start out with the potentiality to be either. And I think, you know, when you take uh, cross-sex hormones as an adult, any part of your body that can still differentiate you know, our, our clitorises get bigger and, and, you know, do their best to become a penis and, you know, male, male's breasts start to develop in the female direction. So we do sexually differentiate by taking these, these hormones. We don't literally become the opposite sex because our sex organs can't reassign themselves and redifferentiate, but that it's still an extension of the sex differentiation process, even as adults. That's well, that's really well put. Uh, I had not considered uh, any of that, actually. That's okay. Wow. Regarding the sexuality that it totally makes. So in that, in this, in this setting, I actually now make sense, right? Like if we, in, in that, but, but it, now circling way, 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 way back that do, it, it doesn't, that wouldn't explain the um, uh, why butch lesbians become androphilic after the addition of testosterone, right? Like, um, yeah, yeah, what's right. Going on it doesn't there? explain that. So I have I have one theory that may apply to to some because female sexuality is so much more relational. Because I would see this in some of the older lesbians that transitioned, where the, a big part of their identity and their social circles has been in the gay and lesbian community. And I remember how it felt when you start taking testosterone and all the lesbians in my life rejected me because they had their own feelings of grieving and loss when, when they feel like, okay, we, we've lost another one or you've betrayed us. And so they have their own feelings about when we transition. And I lost my, it felt like at the time I lost my entire community when I transitioned. And I remember what it felt like to feel like you're scrambling. It's like, okay, what does this mean socially now? What does this mean in terms of my dating pool? What does this mean in terms of my identity? Where do I belong in the world? And when your whole world has been the gay and lesbian community, I think it can be really tempting for females whose whose sexuality is more fluid and, and relational anyway, to start looking at the gay men in your community thinking, well, is that where I belong then? Because then I can still be a part of the gay lesbian community. It feels really frightening to consider myself, you know, heterosexual now where, you know, you've spent so much of your life either in feminist circles or in gay lesbian circles where you, you were conceptualized heterosexuals as like the enemy and, and frightening and unsafe. The idea of, well, now I'm a heterosexual man and I have to cope in the, and adapt to the world as a heterosexual man, that can be very, very frightening for a lot of lesbians. If, if they've been taught men are the enemy, heterosexuals are the enemy, a heterosexual woman would never want me. So I, I think that can become, it can become really tempting to say, well... If the lesbians don't want me now and heterosexuals seem really frightening to me, maybe get gay men and becoming a gay man is is my solution. But when they talk about it, none of them like it's not it's not a conscious decision. It's not it's very oftentimes they're like, oh, shit, what do I do with this? Now I'm attracted to men. And they're like, that's the part, that's what they're grappling with. Not um, because, yes, they do come mm -hmm. from the lesbian community. And and that's um, but but when you add testosterone, I think. Um, I, I've never, I never personally, um, had, had any, any 
association with my identity and my sexuality. Those were like completely unrelated things to me. So there wasn't anything about my, but that could be again, because I was heterosexual. So there was nothing to think like differentiate on that level. I don't know. But when it comes to lesbians transitioning, and then their then their sexuality changes from being relationally motivated and identity motivated and becomes very target driven and intense and that's when they start mm-hmm. st- that and then they they that target and that intensity is directed towards men not not you know with it and that's that's yeah. where it's like so it's like i can see what you're saying if there wasn't actually testosterone you know flooding the brain and influencing um you know your sexuality at that point it's not it's like okay i don't give a give a shit about what this behavior says about my identity it's like i just want the person i want to you know the body i want to to, to be sexual with and and that's and that's what they're all reporting and a lot of them are quite disturbed by it it's like what does this say about Mm -hmm. me now you know what this has completely upended my identity this has um you know and again, yeah, a lot of them are like feminists and right, and men are men are the enemy, you know, men are. But it's like, oh shit! But now I want to have sex with them. What does that say about me? So it's it's not like, it's it's not a conscious decision. It's like, yeah, now that my sexuality has done this to me, now where do I put myself? And I think now because of how many heterosexual women have transitioned and become you know gay men, um, and and so now when let I think I think I think we just went in, let's say within the queer community um it's much more normal because we've been mm-hmm. it's been happening for decades now is these and and so going from being a butch lesbian to a gay man is just kind of like oh it's whatever but you know back back in the early aughts or whatever when when most of this was happening when it was first um um or like or the 2010s let's say um is when i was i was reading all the conversations of all these former butch lesbians being like shit what do i do with this um uh, it was quite uh, like there, there was there was kind of an identity crisis around that. But now I think I think you know today there's no identity crisis about it. It's like oh I'm just you know another rainbow person. You know? yeah. It's like there's not. Yeah. I mean yeah. the way you describe that though, like being very target driven, where it's like you see a man and you get turned on. That doesn't sound like meta attraction to me though. Like that sounds like a genuine. Uh, maybe a latent attraction that was awakened by the heightened sex drive with the testosterone, because I wouldn't think, I wouldn't think a meta attraction would be like a genuine attraction. Like I'm attracted to that man's body and it turns me on. I want to have sex with them. That doesn't sound like meta attraction to me though. That sounds like just a genuine attraction. Right. And that's, and that's one of the reasons again, why I don't know that my theory applies to me because my, my attraction to to women is completely removed from my sense of identity. It's completely genuine and subconscious and is not, has nothing to do with, with me. Um, so we're, but you know, like it's not, it's not self-referential in any way. Um, but what, what I'm saying is meta attraction is these butch lesbians gynophilia is the meta attraction. They're attracted to women because right. what, okay. of what those women say about them. And then when you add testosterone, that becomes it, the, 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 the genuine attraction, the attraction to men is no longer gotcha. repressible. Right. And so that's that's okay. the genuine yep. attraction that they've been. So I would say mostly subconsciously, sometimes consciously. I was talking to a femme about this and she, you know, she's, um, uh, you know, had multiple uh, butch lesbian partners over the years. And she said that she, she can distinctly tell the difference between a woman who's genuinely attracted to her body and or one who is um, 
basically having a um, um, uh, that 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 the sex is kind of in service to their identity, um, and mm. I found that really really fascinating. Um, that is fascinating. Yeah, yeah, um, and it, it makes complete sense, right? It's like you can. Um, I know it's not nearly as drastic as what um, uh, like the trans widows or whatever would report of, of how their husbands tried like the kind of sex that they would like to have with them. Um, much it's going to be much more subtle than that, but um, but yeah, she was saying that yeah, and, and she she also said that for some of them, she knew it wasn't subconscious; it was just unspoken that 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 within the lesbian community, they were not allowed to talk about the fact that they sexually desired to be men or that they, you know, or that there was any sexual desire for men because that, well, first of all, it would invalidate their masculine identity, right? Within the, within, within the, 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 the subculture. Um, but it was also just forbidden because of the feminist values, uh, the kind of, uh, you know, feminism and lesbianism seemed to go hand in hand. And that was um, another reason why I could never have, because I, I feel like I would have been one of those butcher lesbians if I wasn't so repulsed by, my anatomy and therefore it's so so i would have tried to um you know be a butch lesbian except for two things as again i had zero desire to to touch a, a woman's body in that way um and the other one is i i i prefer i just preferred men socially to 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 women and, and the concept of like feminism and things like not that i was i mean there probably was a bit of internalized misogyny going on here but i i just like like the whole celebrating the female and everything like, it's like that that made me so dysphoric right the, that very idea made me incredibly dysphoric um and, and now and now i can embrace that like from the outside of it or even yeah anyway anyway it's um it's it's maybe i haven't really re wrestled through that those feelings of, of anytime I, I was associated with anything to do with femininity it was very dysphoria inducing and the concept of me being a feminist in a lesbian like that was that was also very uh, dysphoria inducing. Um, uh, so everything about lesbianism was, in, was dysphoria inducing for me. And so I had no interest in it whatsoever. Um, uh, and then, um, and then, yeah, that all goes away when, when, when you add testosterone. So maybe I'm back to square one, which is the, the, my, uh, <laughs> my feeling that I was autoandrophilic auto was a cope for my dysphoria. I don't know. I don't know. But <laughs> well, it makes me really curious about the pathway of, of AGB, because I always thought that that pathway was, you know, they were maybe typically heterosexual men, and then the AGP kind of that, kind of that alter ego that they develop of, as themselves as females sort of starts to take over and they have the drive to transition and then the meta attraction flip the meta attraction starts after transition seems to be the case usually it's whereas not, you're saying I, that the meta or do you think that's not the case because it sounds like you're saying that the meta attraction for the butch lesbians happens first and then after they transition they develop their true sexuality where so that seems like a completely opposite pathway to what to the agp pathway right 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 and it would be because because of the hormones that we're adding to this mixture right like, like, so you add testosterone, that's a very different thing than adding estrogen or blocking testosterone, right? So, so when, when, when autogynophiles transition, their, their, their sexuality does become much less male typical, you know? And, um, 
and and the, you know and the reduction of yeah it's probably not the addition of testosterone it's it, not the addition of estrogen it's the reduction of testosterone that probably um uh, 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 has that effect um and so so you would expect to see the opposite that's true the yeah, opposite trajectory that makes sense yeah switch in in sexuality there and sexual behavior uh between between those two um something else i was going to say but oh but it's also I've recently been talking to some gay men about this who have realized that they have um, uh, <laughs> basically um, been with autogynophiles without realizing it because they just kind of thought it was um, like just a, you know like a bisexual man um, or somebody who's just kind of maybe a bit yeah anyway um, uh, <laughs> and I'm not going to say uh, who it was who told me this uh, to protect his privacy but um, basically he had a, um, a, a a kind of acquaintance who would, who wanted him to top him, and he was like, "I just I thought you're a straight dude. That's weird." Um, but um, <laughs> sure, what? <laughs> yeah, great. Sex. Let's do it. You know. Um, but later found out that that person was seeking out situations where they were bottoming to, to men because even though they were a fully, they were just a regular straight dude living their life. In those moments, they could imagine they were women, right? And so, so I think there is a lot of of that going on pre test up pre transition for some autogynophiles is they're seeking out sexual situations where they are the passive participant in homosexual sex just because in that fleeting time they are women in their heads, um, mm -hmm. and and but then they just go back to being a regular dude. Um, I, I think that's that's. Um, going on for the for the autogynophiles pre-transition but then i think yeah post-transition is when yeah, meta sexuality is probably going to be more of a full-time uh, appeal yeah 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 interesting stuff i was the other thought i was thinking of is um you said something about about the, you, you quote tweeted phil about the pipeline and said something about vulnerability playing playing a playing a role do you want to go into that theory or, or well it was just uh, the way, well, it just goes back to what we were saying earlier about the with female sexuality. There's so many layers, including the, just the social role of females in our society, then and feelings of of vulnerability. I think a lot of young women feel very afraid of male sexuality, feel afraid or afraid, just afraid of men or afraid of their own sexuality, and once they transition and appear male start to feel a little less vulnerable a little bit safer in the world which might then open up any sort of dormant attraction to men i think it'd be very difficult to feel an attraction to a something that you're terrified of mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah yeah and that could and so i think that, that could be a factor yeah yeah well i think i think there is a lot to that in the, i don't want to get myself and in, in, well i, I get myself in trouble all the time but i think a lot also th there could be another faction of butch lesbians which are um csa survivors right it's like it's like it just like just like transition shields you and protects you um from 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 male attention if you are you know a victim we have ptsd around around male sexuality being a butch lesbian is also a cover for that right you know it it, it, it shields you in a, in a sense um so that that could be like the yeah, that that same could, the vulnerability aspect could be the same pipeline. So not necessarily um, autoantrophilia, but just uh, still repressing uh, heterosexuality because of, of a, for mm -hmm. a different reason. Yeah. 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 So CSA so being sexual abuse. Yeah. 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 yeah.
All right. So I, and I would hear that concept. That concept did float around the butch community a little bit. I mean, these things were never spoken about openly, which it, it makes it so difficult to know kind of what was going on. But th that concept would would sort of subtly drop every so often that it didn't feel safe to to be a woman. Okay. Or be a girl, and and there there sometimes was a history of childhood sexual abuse in those cases. So I I think I think that is probably the case for at least some butch lesbians that it was just maybe a an unconscious you know armor that they wore that if I if I appear not even necessarily manly but not female if I don't appear sexually appealing to men that that somehow felt safer for them. Yeah, it makes complete sense. That, that would happen yeah the, the the various pathways to butch lesbianism i wish it was studied female sexuality is really understudied it really is i need to go get a phd <laughs> <laughs> all right it's been a good chat yeah it's been great see you later thanks for joining us for this episode of the transparency podcast if you enjoy our content, please help out our algorithm by hitting like or subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation, follow the link to our PayPal account. On behalf of the Gender Dysphoria Alliance, thanks for your support.